You know, Rob, if you rewind a little bit, uh, one of the DC, one of the many DC projects that had been announced and then went nowhere and things like that, one of them that had a lot of people very interested was a Nightwing project. There was a project coming about, you know, the guy who, Dick Grayson, who was the original Robin, went on to become Nightwing and then went on to become Batman for a while as well and back to being Nightwing and all sorts of good stuff. But anyway, Chris McKay, who was the director, the wonderful director of the Lego Batman movie, Rob. I I can't remember if you ever got around to watching the Lego Batman movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, I mean, I was truly, truly surprised by how completely entertaining that little Lego Batman movie was. He's got the Tomorrow War coming out. Uh, he's Chris McKay's also just been announced recently to be directing a Johnny Quest movie, which is going to be really interesting. But he was attached to do a Nightwing movie. And then because of all the delays of what was going on with the Batman at the time, it kind of bumped things off and he had to leave the Nightwing project. But he didn't leave it entirely. Now, Chris McKay is talking again and doing his promotion for The Tomorrow War. Chris McKay is now out talking about what the status is. He was asked about what is the status of Nightwing? What's going on with that? And apparently it may not be completely dead. According to Chris McKay, he said the following. I hope it's still a reality. I hope that when uh, that we still get to make that movie talking about Nightwing. As far as I'm concerned, it's not lost yet. It is obviously something that they've had other priorities. They've had other challenges. They've had things that they needed to do, and I think that they found their way. I think their recent success and the stuff that they are planning on doing now, I think it opens the door for us to still be able to do a Nightwing movie. Whether you call it in an alternate universe or you pick in their multiverse version, which universe it's part of, there are different ways into it. But Nightwing is a big action-packed emotional movie because remember he's got the script written already it may not budgetarily be similar to what we're doing with the tomorrow war but from a scope and scale standpoint as far as the kind of action and the kind of heart that's what nightwing is going to be all about and this again comes to us from chris mckay and rob i gotta tell you i i've never really known how you fit nightwing into the existing DCU. Like I've always kind of felt with the DCU being as it is at this point, trying to put Nightwing into it was always going to feel forced and shoehorned. It just wasn't going to feel natural, but with Warner brothers taking the genius step of creating elseworld kind of stories outside the DCU, like with Joker, as Chris McKay says, this opens up the door a lot. Like, that means this movie that I've written, we could do, and you can just say it's in an alternate universe. Say it's in an alternate title. It's something separate from the DCU, and in that world, you know, young Dick Grayson became the ward of Bruce Wayne, grew up as Robin, then seceded away from Batman and became his own hero, Nightwing, and this is his story. It makes, it puts that back on the table. And Rob, I'm not going to lie, one of the reasons, just besides the fact that, you know, Richard Grayson is still my favorite Robin um, and, and whatever. And I think his story is incredible. I love the idea of this because of Chris McKay. I just, I've really enjoyed his work and the stuff that he's done. And I'll tell you what, I hope hearing the way he's framed this, I hope this happens. Now, listen, directors are often very optimistic. And so 
it would have been nice to hear him saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is going to get done. I would rather have heard him say that. I'm still iffy. I don't know if this is going to happen, but I know I would like it to happen. Rob, two questions for you. After yes, hearing Chris McKay's words here, number one, do you think a Nightwing movie will happen? But number two, are you even interested in Chris McKay's iteration of Nightwing at this point? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm a huge Nightwing fan because I was a big Teen Titans fan. The original Marvel, well, actually not the original, but the second volume where George Perez and Marv Wolfman created it. It's one of my favorite comic series of all time. And that's where Nightwing was introduced. So I've always loved that character. I've always loved the Dick Grayson, Grayson iteration when he changed into Nightwing. And I do think, like, look, you know, we see in Zack Snyder's version of Justice League and of Batman, we see, like, the version of Robin who died. And it wasn't it, it, it wasn't uh, Dick Grayson, I don't think. So you could theoretically bring in a character like Nightwing and have him tied to the Batman in some way. It's just, again, we haven't seen their relationship yet. And I think it would make for interesting storytelling if halfway through the movie that Nightwing had to consult Batman and, uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi style or something. So I think you could make a Nightwing movie work. And again, if it has a great script and obviously a great person playing Nightwing, I would definitely be there for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I would be excited. I think McKay could do something pretty interesting with the character. Obviously, he's had time to think about it. So, um, I, John, I would just love to see a Nightwing movie, you know? And uh, we've seen him in the Arkham games. I, I, I Bring it on. Why not? Right. Now, of course, anything that doesn't isn't said on screen isn't real. Right. So I believe at some point Zack Snyder said that in his mind, the version of of Robin that died was Dick Grayson. But I don't believe that was ever said on screen unless I'm forgetting something that was never said on screen. Of course, in the comics, the actual Robin who died, who was beaten to death by the Joker with a crowbar in one of the most mentally disturbing things I ever read uh, when I was young, was like, oh, my God, he's killing Robin. That, that, you know, that one panel where Joker is like with the crowbar above his head and you see you don't see Robin, but you just see the blood splattering with the Joker. That's an iconic, iconic panel. So I still always had in my head that that was Jason Todd that died. But still, I I think it would have to be, as Christmas McKay was just saying, it would probably have to be in a different universe. But either way, I'm with you. I want to see this, especially with him directing it. I think it could be really interesting. And with Warner Brothers opening it up and saying it doesn't have to be in the DCEU, I think that creates a lot of storytelling opportunities. And I hope Nightwing is one of them. Question is for you guys. Are you interested in a Nightwing movie? I certainly am. Maybe you're not. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You know, Rob, uh, obviously one of the biggest, most exciting things for those of us in geek culture and pop culture the last couple years has been The Mandalorian. And when we all heard and realized that Boba Fett was going to be popping up, and then Mandalorian Season 2 ends, and we got that little tease for, you know, coming soon, the book of Boba Fett. 
We're all like, are you kidding me? The way he went in there, cleaned house, sat on Jabba's throne with Fennec sitting there, Ming-Na Wen sitting there on the arm of the chair. I'm like, I want that poster. And that's exciting. Well, a couple of little things have come out here. One is relatively small, but one is actually deceptively really big. And that's this. They have just announced that the Book of Boba Fett has wrapped filming. It's done. They've shot it. It's ready to go. And I suppose that's not that big of news because we know it's coming out in a matter of months. So, sure, it had to be wrapping up relatively soon if it wasn't wrapped already. And by the way, RM uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RM. Um, So that's good. So Book of Boba Fett's wrapped. Can't wait to see it. Still excited about it. What's really interesting, though, is we never heard any confirmation from anybody at Disney uh, that I'm aware of, Rob, unless I'm forgetting something. I don't believe we've ever heard any confirmation from anybody at Disney or Lucasfilm or, you know, Kathleen Kennedy or John Favreau or anybody about whether Book of Boba Fett was going to be a limited series, a one-shot story, which I think a lot of us, including me, Rob, was kind of assuming. I was kind of assuming that the Book of Boba Fett was going to be a standalone story. But Ming-Na Wen got on uh, social media to share some images about, you know, some gifts they got for the crew. And on it, it says, look at this one in the bottom, the bottom left, the book of Boba Fett season one, season one, to the best of my knowledge, Rob. And again, I I could have, I, I might be missing something here, but to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time I think that it's kind of been stated publicly. This is going to be an ongoing series. This is season one. Now, one of our viewers wrote in yesterday to point this out and said, do you think if, if uh, you know, the Book of Boba Fett is successful, does this mean they're going to be two? Come on. We know it's going to be successful. The book of, Everybody's going to watch the Book of Boba Fett. The only thing we don't know right now is, is it going to be popular? Are a lot of people going to watch it? Or sorry, a lot of people are clearly going to watch it, but are a lot of people going to like it? We won't know that until we start seeing it. But it seems, Rob, that not only is the Book of Boba Fett done shooting, it seems like they got plans for season two, and this is going to be an ongoing franchise for them, which is funny because they never mentioned this at that big Disney uh, shareholders presentation they did when they mentioned Ahsoka, and they mentioned Rangers of the New Republic, and they mentioned the Acolyte, and they mentioned Rogue Squadron. They never talked about ongoing Boba Fett. So, Rob, let me ask you this. Number one. That tangibility, that that uh, the tangibilization of things, the book of Boba Fett is now wrapped shooting. How do you feel about that? But then also, does this really definitively to you mean that this is going to be an ongoing series and that we're going to get a season two? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's always exciting when we always talk about tangibility. My philosophy in life is never put anything on the IMDb or never talk about your project. I mean, you can talk about when you... but. Talk about it when it's first starting, but then don't say anything until it's wrapped because then it's shot. It's in the can and nobody can take it away from you. <laughs> you just you got to finish it. And I love hearing when projects have wrapped. That's uh, that's my favorite, maybe my favorite time because you know that they're real. Now, the second part of that is, of course, I'm excited that the book of Boba Fett is not just a one off. I mean, I hope it's not a one off. Maybe it still could be. But uh, <laughs> I can't look. It might have taken. It's the 41st uh, uh, anniversary. Well, May was the 41st anniversary of the release of The Empire Strikes Back. It It is funny to me that we're finally getting a Boba Fett-centered show 
41 years after the character was introduced and became a fan favorite, which shows me that, John, anything is possible in the universe. <laughs> anything. And I love I love Boba Fett. I've loved Boba Fett since I was 13 years old. And I can't wait for this. So the more, the merrier. Bring it on. Bring it on. Question I'm very is, excited. I am excited, too. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news? Do you think it's good that they're going to be going on? Probably looks like for a season two. Do you think maybe it would have been a better idea to keep it as a one-season, single-shot story? Whatever you guys are feeling, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we need to have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally and absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, the first topic comes from Anonymous. <laughs> hey, John and crew, I work at a movie theater chain in the American Midwest, Marcus Theaters, and they just sent me an email along with my upcoming work schedule saying that we are going back to full 100% capacity on June 18th, including the option to wear a mask. Do you guys think that we as a community are ready for this kind of move? Thanks. Well, you know, John, uh, you and I have both gone back to movie theaters. Um, and times. when we saw Fast Night, yeah, and I, I did wear a mask. And I think that there are going to be people, and we're both vaccinated. And I, I think that, you know, the New York Yankees prove that you can still contract COVID if you're vaccinated and be asymptomatic. I think for me personally, I'm going to be wearing a mask out in public. I mean, I don't have a problem now sitting in movie theaters uh, with full capacity people, but I'm going to wear a mask. And I think it's both for my protection and theirs because you can still become a carrier of COVID. But uh, that's just for me. Now, the wrap says, we got this from the wrap, consistent with the latest CDC guidelines and following consultation with public health experts, AMC theater guests who are fully vaccinated are no longer required to wear face mask coverings at AMC locations unless it's mandated by state or local ordinances. AMC said in a statement to the wrap, guests who are not fully vaccinated are asked to continue wearing masks all other aspects of the AMC safe and clean policies and procedures, including seat blocking, remain in place at this time. So AMC is not going to go full capacity yet. But I just think for me, John, I've been wearing masks for 16 months. And I don't have a problem wearing masks for a couple hours when I see movies for the foreseeable future. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I've never seen it as a personal liberty issue. I have a choice now whether I want to do this. I choose to do it. Uh, for as I said, for my own safety and other people's, I don't have a problem at all with that. I just like the fact that theaters are going to be opening up, uh, more people are going to be able to see movies. But for me, that's kind of where I'm coming from because look, we've still this pandemic is by no means stopped, it's still ongoing, things can still happen. I'm glad that I'm vaccinated, but like 
everyone has pointed out, not everyone else is. So why not err on the side of cautions? No skin off my nose, unless my mask gets a little chafy. <laughs> I uh, here's the thing: hearing from from Mark that Marcus Theaters now is planning on going on lifting all restrictions, lifting all restrictions. That means they're going to go full theater. They're going to go full blown. Uh, and one must assume that if Marcus Theaters is doing that, that other chains are going to start to do that, like AMC, like Regal, like Cinemark, like on and on and on. And the question, and now obviously they will only be able to go full restriction free in areas and states and counties that allow that, but that that is starting to open up and that's becoming a thing. Mm. How do I feel about the lifting of restrictions of limited theater capacity, the lifting of restrictions of mask wearing, the lifting of restrictions of seat blocking and things like that. I, I, I'm a little bit torn on it, Rob, because on one hand, I feel like, man, I, I feel like now that we've got the pandemic on the run, now that we're getting more and more people vaccinated, now that we're seeing new numbers dropping almost daily, I almost there's a part of me that feels like now is the time to really put the foot to the floor and really just eradicate this thing. You know, when you get your opponent against the ropes, that's not the time to ease up. That's the time to up the attack. And I, I there's a part of me that feels like that. On the other hand, um. I got to say, as somebody who has been vaccinated and Rob, you know, we just had a housewarming party here where we had like 30 plus people over who were all vaccinated and we could all be around in California. Nearly 50 percent of the population is fully vaccinated now. It's getting close to that yeah. number. Um, I, do I feel opposed to the idea of maybe in some areas where the numbers have dropped enough? that it's gotten to the point that officials are saying we feel it's okay that these places can open up again. A part of me also thinks, well, then maybe it is okay to open it back up again and, you know, keep a close eye on it. And if things do seem to start to get worse, okay, then, then implement the lockdown again, implement the protections again. But I, I got to say, while I myself, Rob, if I was in charge of one of these theater chains, I would probably keep the restrictions in place for a little bit longer, but I'm not opposed to them lifting it right now. Uh, I mean, I just feel pretty good and maybe I'm being naive, but I feel pretty optimistic and pretty good about where things are right now, at least in terms of where we live in the United States. There are certain places in the world, like our brothers and sisters over in India who are having a really, really rough time. So notwithstanding that, right here, things seem to be pretty good. There seem to be heading in the right direction. So I'm okay with it for now. It's going to be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? That it looks like some of these theaters are getting ready in just a couple of weeks to completely lift all restrictions in the areas that they're allowed to do that. Is it time to do that? Is it a little premature? How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Leo. And Leo writes, Hey, John, me being someone who always knows when specific movies, mainly by my favorite studios like Pixar are coming out, had no clue until earlier 
that Luca is coming out in 10 days, nine days now <laughs> from when he wrote this. It's actually nine days now. It feels as if there is no hype for this movie. Why? Is there not enough advertising or is something else the issue? Let me know your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Leo. And yes, of course, Luca, the upcoming, the newest film from Pixar. Pixar that I still consider to be the best, not just animation studio. I think Pixar is the best movie producing studio in the business. I just think they have the highest win rate. I, I, I just feel that way. Marvel, Marvel is real close on their heels, but I feel, I still feel like Pixar is the best movie producing studio there is, but that's just me. So they got their new one coming out, Luca. Now I wasn't terribly excited about Luca, uh, at first because the first teaser they put out, Rob, you remember, I didn't think looked all that interesting. And then the second trailer came out and I thought, well, damn, that, that actually looks yeah. pretty good. The, this, the second one actually looked pretty good. Very Pixar-y. Now, for those of you who don't know much about what is going, Luca going to be, uh, here's a basic synopsis. Luca follows the story of Luco Paguro, Jacob, played by Jacob Tremblay, and Alberto Scorfano, played by Jack Dylan Grazier, young sea monsters living beneath the water surface who decide to adventure on land in the Italian town of Portoroso. Luca and Alberto spend a summer filled with gelato and scooters, all while trying to keep their identities a secret from the locals. Along the way, they meet they meet Guliana Marco. Let me see if I can say this right. Uh, Marco Valdo, uh, being voiced by Emma Berman, a young girl who helps them defy the town bullies and learn about the world above the sea. All right, and listen again. The second trailer came out. And, and it looked really good. The second trailer came out. I thought, okay, now I'm invested. But I think Leo is right in saying this movie is nine days out. And I hear nobody talking about it. I hear nobody buzzing about it. And Rob, traditionally, when we get to be within two weeks of a new Pixar film coming out, we get a lot of questions coming in about those movies, about a lot of big movies. You know, when it's less than two weeks out, we start to get more and more questions about them. We see more and more discussions online about them. We see people getting excited. And I am simply not seeing that excitement. I'm not seeing it. I'm not getting messages from people. We're not getting things. Nobody's talking about it. The question is why? I think there's two reasons. Reason number one is, and Leo kind of pointed this out. Yeah, it feels like there hasn't been as much marketing for this movie as I've seen for other Pixar fare. I, I feel like for a lot of other Pixar and Disney st types of stuff, we've been getting much more marketing. So that's number one. But I don't think that's the main thing. And Rob, this may be controversial. Maybe people don't agree with me uh, or whatever, and that's fine. But I think the main reason, Rob, we're not getting a lot of conversations about this is because Disney made the decision to make it a Disney Plus launch. And to me, and then as soon as they did that, we started hearing reports coming out of Pixar that the staff and, and the people who work at Pixar were not happy with that decision. We heard a lot of grumbling going on. They're saying, oh, we just got... But to me, it was also Disney saying, we don't believe in this movie. I, and, and I know not everybody agrees with me when I say that, when, when Disney puts something straight on there, but let's look at the track record. I mean, it just, it just felt like Disney was saying to the world, 
we think Luca is a second-class animated movie and doesn't deserve the big, true theatrical treatment. And the moment that happened, I think people's expectations drop, and I think it dropped off a lot of people's radars. I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. I'm simply saying I think, I feel like that's what happened. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of a combination, Rob. I, I think it's number one, it's, it's part of it is that there I haven't seen as much marketing. But number two, I just think when they announced this was going to be a Disney Plus thing, I just think people thought, oh, okay, so Disney is telling us not to even think about this movie anymore. So again, I may be right, I may be wrong. That is simply my, my speculation at this point. Rob, number one, have maybe I'm alone in this. Have you felt a lot of buzz for Luca that maybe I just haven't seen? And if not, what do you think the root cause of the fact that we're not hearing people talking about an upcoming Pixar film? How do you see it? Well, first of all, I I really think Pixar's kind of gotten the short end of the stick in during the pandemic. I mean, I thought Soul was a wonderful film, and it's something that should have been seen in a theater. You know, and it wasn't, obviously. I, I understand why these things are happening. But to me, a movie like Luca, which seems, I think it looks like a wonderful movie. I, I really do. I mean, it looks to me like pure, unfiltered Pixar, whatever that is. <laughs> and I, 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 I find it strange that it isn't, it, that it doesn't have a massive marketing push behind it. I mean, I, like you, I'm like, well, I've seen the trailers, but I don't. I didn't realize it was I, even I when you're telling me this, I'm like, wait a minute, it's this close to coming out. How do I not know this? And I, I think in a way it's kind of a shame because Pixar has been delivering the goods for the better part of more than a quarter century now. And I would think that Pixar is one of Disney's crown jewels. And uh, I, I mean, maybe it's because they think the subject matter is, quote unquote, soft, that it doesn't have the appeal of, say, I don't know, a Beauty and the Beast or a Cars or a Toy Story or something like that. But I think it's it's kind of a shame, dude. Um, I think that this big summer movie, big, 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 big star release, potential Academy Award winner for best animated film. I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. And I, I'm looking forward to it. But like you, I, I'm sort of perplexed, to be honest. Uh, me too. Question is for you guys. How are you feeling about this? Did you realize that Luca was just nine days away? Have you been thinking about Luca? Maybe you in your circles, you have felt that excitement, and maybe we haven't. I don't know. Whatever you guys think about this, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on now to main topic number three. Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, our third main topic comes from Dylan's Dialogue. Hey, John, I love your show and all that you do. Did you hear that Stephen King's Christine is getting a Blumhouse remake? Brian Fuller, TV's Hannibal, is attached to direct. What are your thoughts? And have a glorious day, my friend. Uh, well, I have to say, by the way, thank you, Dylan, for that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Brian Fuller. Obviously, full disclosure, I know him. He's a terrific guy. I think he's an incredibly talented writer. I think it's about time that he has a shot directing a film. And if there's one thing I know about Brian Fuller, he is incredibly passionate about the horror genre and about Stephen King. And I think that going back to Christine, a book that came out in 83, along with the same year as the, the Carpenter adaptation came out, um, I think, yeah, it's about time. 
you know, it's been almost 40 years since we've had a Christine adaptation, and apparently he wants the the uh, movie set in the 80s, and we get this from Deadline. Sony Pictures and Blumhouse are revving back up Christine, a new version of the Stephen King novel, novel that Brian Fuller is writing to direct. Jason Blum is producing for Blumhouse, and Vincenzo Natale and Stephen Hoban are also producing. The great thing about Vincent Natale, who's made, he directed movies like Cube, things like that. Uh, he worked for Brian Fuller directing episodes of Hannibal. Right. So to have Vincent, Vincent Natale, who did also movies like Split, he's got more credibility as a director. So I think what's really cool about this package is that for Blumhouse's sake, you know, Brian Fuller has not directed a feature before, but to have someone like Vincent Natale, a friend of his, a former employee who Brian could lean on for maybe advice to have him on as part of the producing staff, I think makes this a really solid package. And I think Blumhouse knows, I mean, they're, they're pioneering, um, ways to, to get new people to direct things and, and uh, at uh, lo lower budgets. And I think it's a great way to go. My only question, John, is this. You know, Blumhouse itself, if I can just speak about Blumhouse, I love that Brian Fuller is directing a Christine remake. But I hope that Blumhouse, which, which was kind of trailblazing, doing new things, has been kind of falling back to existing IPs, whether it's The Invisible Man, whether it's um, now Christine, Halloween. I hope that Blumhouse doesn't forget that it, it can be still trailblazing and do new things as well as, as obviously IPs that are very valuable. So I want to see Blumhouse continue to reinvent IPs like they did with Invisible Man, which I thought was terrific, and then also do some trailblazing. Keep doing those new, unique visions, Blumhouse. But thanks I for giving Brian Fuller a, a job. I don't think there's any danger of that. I mean, all all the while they've been doing this stuff, they've also been putting out a lot of smaller horror films too. Well, everything yeah, that Blumhouse does is small. And I think you're right. Cont hey, revisit these older IPs. While they keep continuing making new stuff, it was like Happy Death Day is a great example of that. Like, I love Happy Death yes. Day. Stuff like that. As far as Christine goes, I got to say I really do like the idea of it. Partially because of, like, what you were saying with uh, – with you look what they just did with a revitalized property uh, in the form of The Invisible Man. That movie was great. I had such a good time with that movie. And when you look at Christine – there are certain themes in Christine that maybe you couldn't have done in previous eras that you could do now. One of the big parts of our collective minds these days is the struggle about, we often philosophically deal with the struggle of our relationship with technology and are we becoming over-reliant on technology and stuff like that. That's really a kind of element you couldn't have had in a Christine movie back in the 70s or 80s, but that's an element you could introduce in here as well, which could be interesting. And, you know, another remake they did recently, a movie I always get confused with Christine, is Carrie. I always get, I always get Carrie and Christine mixed up, but not a couple of years ago, they did a Carrie revisit, and while not a lot of people loved it, I actually thought it was pretty good. But when you look at just the the continuing love affair that people have with cars the new element mm. you could bring to it with the balance of technology in how our lives work a good horror and now you're adding fuller and you're adding fuller to this like yeah. I, again not an instant home run not an automatic win but i think there's a lot here 
to give you some very legitimate optimism. I mean, could it turn out to be another sucky remake? Absolutely. But I also believe if you take a step back and look at it objectively, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle here that could make something really, really good, potentially. Anyway, question is, guys, what do you think about this? They're going to go back and revisit Christine with Brian Fuller doing it. I think it's a good thing to take a shot at. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Darren Fison, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Okay, guys, Loki is now here with glorious purpose. That's actually the name of the first episode. Uh, I loved it so much. Just one episode in, and it's already my favorite of the MCU Disney Plus shows. I know you guys gave us your quick reactions before, but I wanted to know your more in-depth thoughts now that the first episode is out. Thank you and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, look, there's there's no other way to put it. Loki was fantastic. It's fantastic. I it, it again is very different than the tone and nature of WandaVision. It's totally different from the tone and nature of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It has taken this character Loki and the MCU into no places it has ever been before. Like when they first when we first realized that the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, was going to be a part of it, it's like, oh, well, that's new. They've never done that. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But, oh, my goodness, you don't realize how big the implications are to the MCU as a whole that the Time Variance Authority is here. And when you're watching this episode, you're like, wow, this is actually very, very big and very, very important. But for me, Rob, there was so much to love in this episode, but you and I were talking off screen before the show started. And there is a scene that is in the trailers where you see Loki and you see uh, Agent uh, 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 Morpheus. No, what's his name? Morbius? No, that's not Morbius. Morbius. Yeah, Morbius. It is uh, Agent Morbius. 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 That's it. Morbius. Like a Morbius loop. Yeah, so Agent Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, and Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. You see them sitting down in that room talking in the in the trailers. Well, in that scene, near the end of episode one, and again, I'm not going to spoil and say what happens or what is said, but there is dialogue. You know what it reminded me of, Rob? One of my favorite movies ever, which is The King's Speech. And there, and what I loved about the King's Speech is a lot of the best and most important parts of that movie is just two men sitting in a room talking together. The scenes where you have Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush just sitting in the room talking to each other is some of the most riveting stuff, pardon me, I've seen on the big screen in a long time. And there's a scene similar to that uh, that we see hinted at in the trailers of Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston sitting there talking, and near the end of episode one, some of the most truly profound, deep character work that's ever been done in the MCU is done in this episode. And it's it's fun. It's laugh out loud in some places. It's not a huge actioneer. The first episode is not a big action thing or anything like that. It's just fantastic. And I got to tell you, man, I loved it. There's also a scene, again, I won't spoil what it is, guys, but there is a scene 
where Loki is stumbling around and he opens some random drawer that just made me like laugh my guts out. And you'll see what I mean once you see the episode. Uh, again, I just thought it was incredible. Wonderful character work. Owen Wilson is fantastic. Tom Hiddleston is fantastic. Some deep, deep character dive stuff. The best look we've ever had at the character of Loki. And by the way, Noah AG official sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, it's just phenomenal. And believe me when I tell you, because I've seen the second episode, but which I won't talk about, but the second episode only gets better. But anyway, I absolutely loved it. Rob, you had a chance now to sit down and watch the first episode of Loki, also known as Glorious Purpose. What did you think of it? I watched it twice. Um, I loved it. And what what I what I marveled at, <laughs> so uh-huh. to speak. I didn't by the way, I didn't plan that, I just said it. The idea of of taking a I'm a, let's call it a very wacky idea, like the time variance authority. One of the things that I've marveled at about the Marvel Universe is the first Iron Man film was a very down to earth. It was as as realistic an affair as they could. Sure, the Iron Man suit and the way it worked is their big ask in that movie, but it really was about one man coming to terms with himself and his responsibility to his fellow man and and himself. And the the battle was between him, his own soul, and then of course the external battle was between his mentor and uh, fighting for control of his own company. It was not apocalyptic. You know, it was the story of an individual. And now that we've moved all the way past the Infinity Saga to introduce, I mean, throughout the Marvel Universe, you you get Asgard, you get the Guardians of the Galaxy, you get the cosmic nature of the Marvel Universe. And now we've got with the Eternals, the Celestials coming and things are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more sci-fi fantasy, more more removed from the original Iron Man one as, as possible. I marveled at how they took influences from things like Brazil and the Adjustment Bureau, and they really had a lot of fun with the Time Variance Authority, which, again, is something that comes right out of the comics. And and they made it something that it seemed like it worked within the MCU, which is crazy. I mean, it's this is as far out as the MCU has gone, and yet, at the same time, This is, again, a story about Loki coming to terms with himself. And there were moments like there's a very there's an extended scene in this episode where Owen Wilson, like you said, and 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 uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki are just talking. And Owen Wilson is asking Loki very important, very pointed questions about himself. You know, basically, why do you do what you do? Please explain it to me. And like you said, it's it's character defining and it's coming to grips with with, you know, asking those tough choices. And and it's very introspective. And I thought it was really interesting. And for me, John, you know, I'm always going character, character, character. And there's so much about Loki as a character in this film that is adult. It is nuanced. It is fascinating to watch. And yet it has all of the. I mean, the fact that they've gone so far out into the realm of comic book fantasy sci-fi and yet made it have this kind of an emotional wallop, I was astonished by it, knocked out by it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to complain, but now it's gotten to the point where people just, I think, have their knives sharpened just because. Mm. And no one, again, is is actually paying attention to what's going on. And I think that 
this show, it's, it's brought really interesting elements of time travel, the idea of fate and destiny. Are we in control of our lives or are we not? And, and I think that's going to be a big, as the series moves forward, that's going to be a big question. Does our, do our lives matter? You know, if, if everything is predetermined and that's what's been so great about time travel stories, are our lives predetermined or do we have choice? And I think that's part of what this show is ultimately going to be about because that's what the character of Loki is facing. What is the choice? Who am I based on the, the, the choices, the sum total of the choices I've made? And I think that's fascinating stuff to deal with in a comic book TV series. There's uh, I, I, again, it's it's not to spoil anything. I will tell you one line that is in 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 the series, and it's a question. So it's this isn't a line that reveals something big, okay? But it's Owen Wilson talking to Loki, and he simply asks him the question: that is, do you enjoy hurting people? And that just illustrates the type of character work they do with Loki and, and and the soul exposing that they do of Loki in this. It's it's a scene that I loved. It, it, it kind of just represented the entire episode to me with a lot of, you know, the jovialness of the Loki character that we love so much, but then it gets dead serious. And man, I'm telling you, I loved this episode so much. I think it's my favorite premiere of the three Disney Plus series we've had so far. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I really like the first episode of WandaVision and the first episode of Falcon Winter Soldier, but this is my, I think this is the best one they've done yet. As as far, I don't know if it's going to go on and be the best show they've done, but as far as one episode goes, that's why I feel bad. Now, listen, guys, I just want to remind you that today at 4 p.m., so you still got like five hours to go and watch Loki if you want, but today at 4 p.m., we are going to be doing an open spoiler discussion about Loki where we'll go into all the details about it that you guys want to talk about. The event is posted on the uh, YouTube channel right now, so you can see it there. You can wait for it. You can go over there, start talking to each other right now, but we'll do that at 4 p.m. today. Anyway, the question for you guys is, have you had a chance to watch the episode one premiere of Loki, Glorious Purpose. If so, what did you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's spend the rest of our time here today, shall we? Taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to get a comment or question on the show, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Remember, by sending it in, we are not obligated to read your comment or question because it might not be appropriate for the show, but we read almost all of them. And again, thank you guys so much for supporting our show on that level. Okay. With that down, let's get on over and start taking your live questions, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Anonymous, who writes, So, as an East Coaster, uh, WandaVision's 3 a.m. viewing wasn't terrible with the struggle only being Friday till the weekend recovery. Now Loki will have me a mess midweek. Damn you, Disney. Rob, it goes back to the thing we were talking about before. I don't. I still don't like this move by Disney. I get it. If it was for a technical reason and it spread it out, it spread out the server load. I understand, but I still don't like it. You and I, you, you guys had, you know, what was it? Mandalorian viewing Fridays or whatever it was. People have made traditions out of watching the new premiere prime Disney plus shows coming out on Thursday at midnight for us on the West coast. 
and, or Friday, wherever else. I still, it felt weird that it came out last night. I don't know. Did you adjust to it fine or did it still feel weird to you too? Well, I mean, look, I I liked Friday being Mandalorian Mon- or Mandalorian morning with my coffee and Elizabeth and I could, could, could that's how we sort of began our weekends. Uh, and I liked that. And now since we talk about these shows, obviously in the morning after they first air, uh, I do stay up and watch them, but it doesn't hurt me because you know it's midnight, and I go I'm a, I, I go to bed late anyway, so um, I have no problem with it. But I I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> now it's like oh, I still have the rest of Thursday and Friday, <laughs> so yeah. I did like the fact that it was it was to me it was my weekend gateway, John. <laughs> so. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Casey McNatt who writes. Hey, John and Rob, if Rob is there, and he is here. I just wanted to ask if you've right. seen Sweet Tooth yet. I've been hearing some pretty good praise for it, and I want to get uh, get to it, but I still need to catch up on some shows that I'm watching. Have you seen Sweet Tooth yet? And, of course, this is the new one that on Netflix that Robert Downey Jr. and his wife are the producers of. I have not watched it yet. I mean, I want to watch it, Rob. I do. But I was explaining to people, I my TV dance card has been completely full lately. Like getting caught up on Handmaid's Tale, watching all of Lucifer season 5B, then watching all of Warrior, getting caught up on Superman and Lois, and now I'm trying to get caught up on Mayor of Easttown, and I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. So uh, it, it's it's been tough. So no, I have not seen Sweet Tooth yet, but it looks interesting. I am also hearing very good things about it. Rob, have you had a chance to start watching this yet? No, but I too have heard a lot of great things about it. And you know, it was it was Robert Downey Jr. was one of the producers of the show. So I'm I'm curious to see what they um what they put their what they put their, all their, their juice behind. So I'm in. By the way, uh Nor uh Kalkish and, and Anch and Jam are all saying that they've seen Sweet Tooth and that it's very good. So a lot of people are saying good things about it. I'm I'm definitely going to get around to it. It just might take me a little bit to get there. I got to finish Mayor of Easttown. All right. Uh, next up, we got Brent B. writes, you're my favorite YouTube show. Thank you so much, Brent. My second favorite is The Hill, a political non-biased show. Shout out to the co-host Crystal and Cigar um, for taking a page out of the John Campia book, leaving their corporate overlords and starting their own channel, Breaking Points. Check them out. Well, I'm I'm not big into into a lot of political stuff on YouTube, but I do love it when people want to take that, that step and build something for themselves. That is great. So thanks for giving them a shout out, Brent. That's really good of you. All right, next up, Zane Henderson writes, Like many of us, I've been a huge fan of yours for years. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Zane. To be honest, it was the Man of Steel review for me. A lot of people say that. Um, So thanks for everything you do. I just watched broadcast news for the first time. Loved it. Uh, Loved it. Everything. What did you think of that one? Oh, my God. Let's talk about broadcast news. I love it. Rob, have you ever watched broadcast news? Dude. Come on. I love broadcast news. <laughs> I I saw the theater when it opened. Really? What year did that yeah. come out again? Oh, I want to say it was late 80s. Late 80s? Let's see. Um uh, Okay, hold on What a great what a great cast. Also, I I I I'm just getting a text from Ray saying there's something wrong with the sound. It's 80 I- 87, 1987. 1987. I mean, James L. Brooks. 
Uh, yeah, William Al- Hurt, Albert, uh, Albert Holly Hunter, Hunter. Oh, dude. Joan Cusack. I mean, there's a scene in that movie that is like iconic with the the whole nature I, of uh, what's that? Well, I love when it was Albert Brooks who's sweating. That's the scene you know, I was like going to say. It's he, the most iconic scene oh, in that yeah. movie. It's it's so good, it, you know. And 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 of course the, the the whole idea of William Hurt being this hunk and Albert Brooks not liking him and uh, I, I I really loved. Uh, broadcast news people are calling in they're afraid he's having a heart attack it's it's a really good new and again holly hunter that's the first movie that i really noticed holly hunter and and she's now whenever she's in anything i always take special note of it because i remember her from that movie so yeah man that's that's a good one zane that is a very very good one i love that movie okay uh let's move on here next up uh piano dan writes When Ben Barnes played the title role in 2008's Prince Caspian, that's where a lot of people took notice of him, I was sure he would be the new big star in Hollywood. Only took about 10 years, but he's now getting bigger roles. Do you think he has the potential to be one of the top movie stars like Leo or Tom? Yeah, listen, we've been talking about Ben Barnes a little bit lately. I I absolutely believe he has all the tools. I, I totally believe he has all the tools to be on Leo's level. I think he is a fabulous actor. He's got ridiculously good Hollywood look, good looks. He's able to handle any kind of material you throw at him. Of course, the problem was when he was the lead role in Prince Caspian, Prince Caspian wasn't received all that well. And so that kind of put, uh, I think, a little bit of a road bump, if you will, on Ben Barnes' ascent. But we've seen him in a lot of stuff since. And and Rob, I got to tell you, I've never watched something with him in it where I thought, Eh, he was okay in it. I, like even when the projects he's in are only okay, he always does everything he can do. And I know I've been gushing a lot about Ben Barnes lately, but you guys keep asking. But yes, to answer your question, Piano Dan, I do believe he has that potential. Will he get there? Who knows? Because in Hollywood, it's not just about having the tools. You also got to get lucky and you got to get the breaks. Whether he'll get that luck and get those breaks to ascend to that next level up, We'll have to wait and see, but I believe he has the tools to do it. I really do. All right. John Jack writes, Hey, John, been out of the loop for a while, and I just heard that FX is making a Rolling Stones miniseries by the same people who made The Crown. Really wish my grandmother could have lived long enough to see it. She was a Mick Jagger super fan. And Rob, you want to talk about, I mean, they are the original bad boys of rock and roll. I mean, it, it, it it's the Rolling Stones, man. It's still the Stones. I remember I had a chance to see them in Toronto uh, many years ago, and they I I still didn't know how they were standing. Like they like they were they all looked pretty frail, right? And ten years later, they're still playing shows <laughs> now and again. Oh yeah, and, and they are still the Stones, and a lot of people consider them to be the greatest band of all time. And when you look at all the individual members, there's a lot of drama there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do something on. So are you interested in a, in a Rolling Stones project? Dude, I love the Stones. <laughs> I've always loved the Stones. I, I saw them in concert in the Kingdom, like in 1980, you know, the, for the first <laughs> time. I mean, I've loved the Stones my whole life. And, um, you know, I still think, look, again, they're proving that staying creative, you do not have to give up. I mean, you can work literally till you drop dead and create new music. They created new music during the the pandemic. Uh, And I I think God bless those guys for continuing on 
And they're still rocking, what, 60, 70 years later? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. In human history, how many people have been like the Stones? Be like the Rolling Stones, John. That's what I say. Uh, and by the way, Goho Meister sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that, man. You know, and like, I remember one of my favorite quotes ever, and I may not be remembering this word for word, Rob, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember Keith Richards, who is probably like a walking Petri dish, but Keith Richards, like with all the drugs he's used, I remember a, a reporter asked him once at a press conference and they said, you know, uh, Keith, it's been said that if there was a nuclear holocaust, the only things that would survive are the cockroaches and you. What would you do? Oh, I'd eat the cockroaches, <laughs> which is like one of the greatest <laughs> moments in rock and roll press conference history. Is one of the great, and of course, Keith Richards. For those of you who don't know, Keith Richards is who uh, Johnny Depp modeled Captain Jack Sparrow after. He, he's like, I, right. I want him to be Keith Richards. I want him to be Keith Richards, which is why in one of the, the Pirates movies, they brought in Keith Richards to play Captain Jack's dad. So anyway, a lot of little connections there. Uh, so anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right, next up, uh, we've got BK Dan. And BK Dan writes, John, from your mouth to Twitter, I crap you not. I just saw Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart was trending on Twitter uh, with almost 700 tweets. I Yeah, somebody sent me that. I saw that somebody sent me that the other day and said, John, did you see <laughs> Gus's movie reviews dot fart is trending on Twitter? I'm like, go figure. So social media is a strange place, man. The funniest things that get that catch on is really weird. But anyway, thanks for sharing that, BK. Uh, Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart. All right. Casey McNatt writes, uh, Hey John, seeing all the reviews for fast nine, there's only one way I will see that movie in a theater with the four DX capability. Even if the movie is bad, I'll actually get a thrill out of that experience. And listen, I have personally never been to a four DX theater, but I've heard it's a good, exp I've heard it's good. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a novelty to it, but I've heard it's good. Rob, have you ever been to one of those four uh, DX theaters? You know what? I I haven't. And I've heard some people like them. I, I mean, it doesn't, I got to be honest, it doesn't really appeal to me uh, in terms of uh, I don't need gimmicks, but it might be cool. Pe people who, the people that like it really like it. And maybe one day, I mean, I'll, I'll if it's easy for me to step right in and, and see what it's all about, I would do it. I have no objection to doing it. Here's the thing, too. I'd go. Oddly enough, as truly awful as fast nine is and it's awful but i could see a 4dx experience with a movie like that that could actually kind of work <laughs> I, I mean nothing that could actually kind of work so it'd be interesting to see all right uh next up we've got an anonymous viewer writes Michael Rosenbaum said he is working on something new with Tom Welling. Rumor has it it's a Smallville continuation animated show. Uh, what's your interest, thoughts, or would you be interested? Absolute zero interest. I have ap – listen, I liked Smallville. I watched all of Smallville. I really liked Tom Welling. Michael Rosenbaum was a great Lex for that alternate universe sort of thing. But a Smallville animated – no – I, no, I, I'm not interested in that at all. And by the way, I don't believe the rumor. I, I think probably, listen, Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling, um, they already do several business ventures together. As a matter of fact, they 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 do a business venture with, um, uh, why am I freezing on the name of the dude who played Arrow? Why am I freezing on his name? 
Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell. They entered. They entered. They did a business. Uh, they're doing a business thing with Stephen Amell as, as well. So I don't know. I know the rumors and anime thing. I doubt it would be Rob. Personally, I would have zero interest in a super in a uh, Smallville animated series. I, I think the series was great. It's done. I don't know. I, would you have any interest in a Smallville series? Well, if it was good. I mean, you know, watching stuff like Invincible and and uh, but I, I'm like, I think to me, Smallville kind of of all the TV shows that have ever been on the air, I think Smallville got a great shake. I mean, do we need more Smallville? Didn't we get enough? Yeah, we got an awful but, lot of it. Know, it's been a lot of years. It depends how it, it depends how it was, really. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, where are we at here? We are at Ron Frazier, who writes. In celebrations of a new Dungeons and Dragons movie in production, I'd like. By the way, Chris Pine is in that. I, I'm I'm fascinated by this. Anyway, uh, I'd like to list some movies that remind me of Dungeons and Dragons. Some of my favorites are Arnold's Conan films, yeah, for sure, and of course Lord of the Rings, but also Guardians one and two because they're quirky ensemble films. What are yours? Mm. Well. I don't know. I, I don't walk around with a list in my head of films that remind me of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Even though it's completely different in many ways, Rob, I'll, I'll mention one. Crawl. Crawl reminds me of a Dungeons and Dragons, even though there's, there's different elements to that, I know. But that's one that kind of reminds me of a Dungeons and Dragons movie. A modern one, though, a modern one is the Pixar film uh, Onward. The one that came out just as the pandemic was starting. That oh. is that whole movie is a Dungeons and Dragons adventure. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know, Rob, if you think of movies that are like Dungeons and Dragons to you, what do you think of? Well, the first thing I think about, only because I this movie came out when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons a lot, was Dragon Slayer from 1981. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. With, with because it obviously it had a dragon in it, but still to this day, one of the greatest. I mean, ILM had perfected. Uh, go motion, the idea of, of adding f uh, uh, blurred frames between stop motion animation shots to create more of a, a feeling of motion. And the dragon in that movie, their Vermithrax pejorative, is still one of the greatest dragons ever put on, on film. And there's not a lot of great dragons put on film. I mean, I think about Dragon Slayer, Reign of Fire, Game of Thrones, The Hobbit 2, The Desolation of Smaug. Uh, but man, I'll tell you, I love me some Dragon Slayer. I haven't, you know, I haven't watched it in a long time. I recently have acquired a Blu-ray of it that, shh, don't tell anybody. It's not on Blu-ray, but I have one. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm looking forward to revisiting it again because I haven't seen it in a long time. But that that movie screams Dungeons and Dragons to me. Yeah, I, I, I haven't watched that one forever. Anyway, okay, next up. Uh, Willow writes in, now that you mention it, the first time I had pizza was at the Tokyo Disneyland, and I hated it so much that I wouldn't eat pizza again for years afterwards. I always wondered if, if it was because of the pizza or if it was because the pizza there was bad or if I just wasn't used to Western food. Well, I mean, this comes up because we were talking the other day, Rob. I can't remember if you were here or not at the time, but the food at Disneyland is awful. Like, it's terrible. In most most places you eat, in most places that you eat at Disneyland, they just crank out the lowest quality stuff they can to make it really cheap. Like, at most places, if you order a plate of spaghetti, like, it's the cheapest noodles with the cheapest sauce that they throw on it. The pizza is terrible. Now, they've got a few restaurants 
there that are exceptional, like Blue Bayou. We talked about that restaurant. It's like one of my favorite restaurants to eat at. But those are the more harder to get into, more expensive ones. But like even just a slice of pizza is like $11 for a slice of pizza, and it's crap. So I have a feeling, Willow, it was probably the fact that it was a Disneyland slice of pizza. It's not pizza itself. Pizza's glorious, all right? Okay? Pizza is glorious. But yeah, that Disneyland pizza, I it's just, oh, dude, it's all. You know what, Rob? There was another place at Disneyland that isn't open anymore that was pretty good. And it was in the Western area. And it was like, uh, it was Western motif where it was a barbecue place. I, I can't remember the name of it. And they'd have country, like people singing old time twangy Western country as they're to give me a home, like live people read, doing. And when you would right. order something, it would come out in buckets. Do you remember that? So if you order like no. sausage, they bring you a bucket of sausage. If you ordered like ribs, they brought you a bucket of ribs and a bucket of wings and you just eat out of the bucket and throw the bones. Out. That place wasn't bad, but then they closed it down to make room for some. I think it was closed down. I think it was one of the casualties of uh, Star Wars land getting made. So they they lost it. That place wasn't oh. bad, but it wasn't great either. But yeah, dude, listen, the food at Disneyland is I love Disneyland. Love, love, love Disneyland. But most of the food there is absolutely terrible all right uh hope i helped you out there willow try pizza again just not disneyland pizza all right the wakandan forever writes lex luther step aside joker so yesterday and baron zemo is out of style another criminal genius is on the loose cruella de vil i saw it twice in theaters this weekend best classic disney live adaptation to date no it's not uh cruella costumes this halloween well listen wakanda forever i mean it, it is good i mean yes it is i was I was, as we've talked about on the show, I was very pleasantly surprised by it because I didn't think it looked all that good, to be honest. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised by it. But it's she's not a criminal. She's not a villain in this. She is the protagonist. And there is nothing about her that is the villain at all. Uh, she's edgy. She's got attitude. But she's not the villain. She's the good guy, which is one of the things that actually drove me crazy about uh, Maleficent. But they do it a little bit better here. So, yeah, now, look, I still believe, Rob, that the best live-action Disney animated adaptation they've done, I still think, is Cinderella, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Which, didn't it also have Emma Thompson? No, no, it was was it Kate Blanchett or Emma Thompson who played the Wicked Stepmother? It was probably Kate Blanchett, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, so, but anyway, I think that's the best one, but this might be, to me, the second best one uh, they've done, although, man, I really like Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, too, I like that one a lot, I mean, not as much as the original animated one, but that one was great, too, but yeah, Corella was definitely a pleasant surprise, Wakanda, and it absolutely was, all right, next up, Ryan G writes, hey, John, uh, but you are, but you are wrong about season four into the flash. It is really good. No, Ryan, I am not wrong. You are wrong. Anyway, um, you're wrong about season flash. It's really good, but I think seasons three and six are pretty bad. Season five was a mix for me and seasons one or two are great. They should have ended it with season five. I don't know if they should have ended it with season five. Like here's, here's what we do, Rob. What we often do is. Once they do something that is kind of subpar, we say they should have ended it before that. Well, not necessarily. Like, look, there were, there have been many shows that have had a bad season and then they recovered from that and got back on track. So I don't know if it means they necessarily should have ended there. I will say I think they need to end the show now, though. 
Like when you look at what's going on with Flash, I think they need to end the show now. But I don't know. Do you think they should have just killed it after season five? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, it, it's th- to me, it's easy to say in hindsight if things disappointed. But at the time when they're being made, look, I think the seventh season of Star Trek The Next Generation is not the greatest season in the world because the creative team was running out of gas. But then we did get all good things from that season, which is one of the great series finales ever. The best and, series finale um, ever, in my opinion. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I think that, look, uh, as much as I, I – I, I, look, I, I, would, I would prefer more – people keep trying. People keep making things. I mean, look uh, – Yes, some things don't work out, but I'd rather have them than not have them, (laughs) I I, guess. That's a good philosophy. I like that. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Star Wars Lost X Freak writes, Hi, friends. Speaking of the movie Inside Lewin Davis, tidbit worth mentioning is that it includes the first, much possibly the last, Poe Dameron, Kylo Ren musical collaboration. That's right, because Oscar Isaac and... uh, 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 why am I freezing on the guy who plays Kylo Ren's name? Uh, I, I'm forgetting his name. Don't know why. Anyway, uh, Kylo Ren musical collaboration in a very funny song featuring also Justin Timberlake. Um, prequel of the prequel. The next time we saw those two together on screen was in the great and promising opening scene in The Force Awakens. What a thrill this movie was and how disappointing the third one. Still, thank you, Lucasfilm. For that entertainment. And yes, uh, uh, Driver is, is, is the guy who did it, by the way. And oh, and I see you guys are throwing that in, Adam Driver. So Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac were originally together. Of course, I don't think they did anything together before that in Inside Lewin Davis. And I am with you, man. Like, yeah, The Force Awakens, I will still argue with anybody. The Force Awakens is fantastic. It's a fantastic movie. I love it. It's just unfortunate that they couldn't have been bothered to sit down and make out a plan for the three films that eventually and inevitably led to what the disaster that the third film was. But hey, it's all subjective. Maybe you loved all of them. It's all good if you did. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Star Wars Lost X. All right. Next up, uh, Brooks Kirk writes, Hey, John, my wife and I will be flying into California to visit relatives on the 4th of July weekend. Since they live just outside of L.A., I was hoping to check out one or two of the movie theaters L.A. has to offer. Could you give me a recommendation? Thanks. Well, uh, that that's kind of easy, but also unfortunate at the same time. Because on the one hand... The, the one you really got to visit is still there. And that is the Chinese theater that's right in Hollywood. I mean, that's the place where the original Star Wars debuted. Uh, that's where, I mean, it's just, that's the place to go. That's the thing you got to go. You got to go to the Chinese theater. There's so much history, so much richness there. It's just a theater you must go to. Unfortunately, the second one I would say you need to go to <clears throat> is no longer an option which is the Cinerama Dome. Just because of the very unique experience that that place was. It was such, it was Rob's favorite place to go. And by the way, I would bring in Rob, but it looks like Rob's internet went out. Uh, I'm getting a text message from Rob. Uh, yeah, his his internet just went out, it looks like. So I don't know if we're going to be able to get Rob back or not. But I mean, it was the his favorite place to go, the Arclight Cinerama Dome was his absolute favorite place to go and watch a movie. It was his favorite place to go and watch a movie. And unfortunately, um, 
unfortunately, yeah, Rob just texted me this to confirm that his internet went out. <laughs> oh, well, so we'll see if we, we'll see if Rob can get back on here if he can in a second. But at any rate, unfortunately, Arclight became recently just became one of the victims of the pandemic and the Arclight went out of business. Now, AMC theaters just announced that they're going to try to acquire that theater and reopen it but it won't be open in time. So the one theater that I would recommend that you go and check out is the uh, the Chinese theater with all the history. And it's gorgeous and beautiful inside. you got to visit the Chinese theater. So anyway, I hope you have a good trip, Brooks. All right, next up. Uh, Ike Noko writes, one of two. I loved your rationale on what makes Thor worthy. Didn't consider how worthiness also may deal with are you good for the people of Asgard or Earth? Think about it. The prestige of worthiness starts and ends with the protection and leadership of Asgard slash Earth and the Nine Realms. Um, Imagine. Hey, y'all, I'm worthy now. I guess I'll go to Disney World. Have fun fending for yourselves. Got me wondering. If Asgard and Earth Nine Realms are gone, what does... Uh, then does that pose any ramifications to what it means to be worthy? Again, I don't know that there are... The MCU always stayed relatively vague on what it means to be worthy, right? Obviously, what is clear is that being worthy isn't just about being a good person. or Otherwise, a lot of people would have been able to lift the hammer, right? We talked about this the other day. The fact that Iron Man... Like Tony Stark, who in the Avengers movie, at the end of the Avengers movie, Tony Stark is willing to lay down his life and sacrifice himself to take the nuclear missile through that wormhole into space, completely believing he was going to die doing it, but he was willing to do it to save everybody else. And yet, in Avengers Age of Ultron, he couldn't budge the hammer. He couldn't move it. So it's not just about being a good person. By the way... Thor is still a bit of a douche knuckle, you know, throughout the other Thor movies, right? He's still arrogant and pompous and lies sometimes and what, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like he is the purest of the pure hearts. So it's when, when the all father Odin says, you know, be they worthy, we'll have, they're never really clear. What does worthy mean? What does it mean? Because so far in the MCU, Only two people were really worthy. It was Thor and it was Steve Rogers. Now, Vision is up for debate because, you know, Thor theorized that Vision was a robot. He was an inorganic thing, so him being able to lift it may not have counted. We'll leave that up to the fans to debate. But, yeah, it's always been really interesting that they never really did hammer down, (laughs) no pun intended, they never really did hammer down what does worthy actually mean. Anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Ike. All right, next up, Luke writes, Hey, John and Rob, we just missed Rob, unfortunately. I know y'all have been recommending uh, recommended Banshee before, but really, this show kills. Well-told four-season arc starts to uh, start to finish with a clear plan, so intense and moving, creative action sets, many villains, and the protagonist... Um, uh, and the protagonist... Where are we at here? I lost my... Sorry, Dennis Zen is now texting me, so I got kind of... Uh, I got sidetracked. Okay, anyway, uh, this show kills. Uh, Well-told, four-season arc starts to finish with a clear plan, so intense and moving, creative action sets, many villains, and the protagonists are highly flawed, must view. You know, I haven't heard anybody in a long time suggest Banshee to me. It's been a while since somebody recommended Banshee, but I have had some people over the years recommend it to me. I've got a lot on my list, but that is one I'm interested in. 
I got to get right now. My priority list is I got to get through mayor of East East town. Cause that's been amazing so far. And then I really got to start sweet tooth. And then after that, at some point I will see if maybe I can get Banshee in there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But thanks for keeping that on the recommendation list, Luke. I appreciate it. All right. Next up, uh, Brandon. Oh, hold on a second. I think we might have, uh, I think we might have Rob back. Oh, look at that. I think Rob is back. Rob, what is was that? that? I don't know. Your, uh, your internet went out though, huh? It was completely out. Uh, like everything wait. just winked out. Oh, well, it, that's that's the world we live in, Rob. Technology. We live by it. We die by it. But it's good that well, you're back. I'm hey, listen, back it, it's, it was unfortunate you dropped out because somebody was just asking about um, a mo- movie theaters that they need to visit. And I was saying the Chinese because uh, all the history and everything. But I said it's unfortunate that you're coming now because the place I'm sure you were recommend is the Cinerama Dome. What? Because that was your go-to movie theater before it closed. Mm. What made that theater so special? Well, for me, first of all, it's a it's a half it's a geodesic dome, you know, it literally is a dome. And and I, I love the building and it had so much history for me. But a lot of people it has a big, giant curved screen and a lot of people don't like the curved screen. But for me, there was something very grand about it. And it had a lot of history with 2001 opening there. And I, I, I felt that because it was such an unusual place, um, it just felt to me to be in a way holy, you know, <laughs> and, and, and in 2015, when, uh, the force awakens, uh, played there, they revamped the entire projection system in there. They gave it laser projection and it was, I mean, it looked razor sharp the same way that they, um, the Chinese theater moved over to laser projection as well for their IMAX when they did their IMAX, uh, revamping when they turned it into an IMAX theater. And it was, it was incredible. And I, yeah, see, there you go. And you could, you could see, I mean, being in there was, it was just, I, I always felt it to be a real experience. And I, I loved being in there. I just loved the feel of it. And it felt, you know, again, it added to the experience. It wasn't just going to see a movie. You were, you were going to a holy place to, to worship John. It, 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 it was it was it. a temple of movies. It really, really was. It was a temple of movies. I really hope AMC does, you know, is able to acquire it and get those doors open again. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Brandon Visconti who writes, Hey, John, you help me out when I'm really depressed. Thank you. That's the great thing about movies and the movie fan community, man. It's always there to, to lift our spirits up. Uh, I love M. Night Shyamalan uh, movies, but my favorite is Signs. What do you think of it, and would you be down to see a sequel to it? No, I, I would not be down for a sequel for it, but it is actually, it might be my favorite M. Night movie, actually. Yeah. I, I, I like it uh, a hell of a lot. Now, look. The very, very ending of the movie, obviously, a lot of people make fun of the very ending of the movie. Obviously, the very ending of the movie has some problems. Water will kill them. Really? <laughs> These aliens are coming to a planet that's three quarters covered by water, and then they got no defense for it whatsoever? How about but moisture aside, in the atmosphere? Yeah, but Rob, you know, one of the things that I loved about Signs it was it had a little bit of asian horror movie elements to it in the sense that one of the things that m night understood was the things you don't see 
will freak mm. you out more than the things that you do. And for the first three quarters of the movie, you never see the aliens. Like you'll just see a glimpse, just get a brief glimpse of the back foot of an alien disappearing into the cornfield or something, right? And it freaked you out. I mean, what did you think about Signs? I, dude, I really like Signs, and it's got one of my favorite alien reveals ever. When it's got that that footage on TV, they're watching on TV, and the camera's peeking down like an alleyway, and you see the first full frame of the alien just walk by. And Joaquin Phoenix has one of the great reactions in film history when he's like, oh, my God. You know, he, he, and it's, we as the audience felt the same way. And I, I think the way they built it up with, like, the baby monitors and hearing the the sound and all that, I, I thought it did – it did a great job. And, you know, ultimately, the movie asks questions about faith and the way you find out the reveal of how Mel Gibson lost his wife and powerful and all of that. It was powerful stuff. And, uh, and I thought it was a pretty heady mix for what Shyamalan was doing. I think that was he began a sort of long, slow slide into and I don't know what. I mean, I've never seen it, it, movies like The Happening to me are inexplicable after watching Signs. I'm like, bruh, come on now. But uh, I really like Signs. I think it still holds up. I recently rewatched it and thought, man, it's pretty good. And I'm looking forward. I mean, I have to say, I love seeing Blumhouse sort of revitalize M. Night Shyamalan's career. The Sham Hammer is back, John. Yeah. And I think Old looks really, really good. Dude, also I, based on a graphic I like those novel, trailers a lot. I like them a lot. Looks really good. All right, let's move on here. Next up. We've got Caleb who writes, Space Jam 2 has a budget of $150 million. It's probably even more than that. Uh, yikes, it needs to make Godzilla versus Kong money. Probably a little bit more than that. And I just don't <laughs> see that. I think you're right, and I think it flops. Robbie, I, I don't think you were here, but somebody brought up Space Jam the other day. Somebody mentioned that. You know, I was thinking Space Jam might make a billion dollars. And I list, I, I'm at the totally opposite end of the spectrum. I think that movie flops. I, I think Space Jam flops. I, I just think it's, look, when Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Space Jam, the first one, came out, there was a great, wonderful novelty to it of having live-action people in with the animated characters and blah, blah, blah. But that was 327 years ago. I mean, that was forever ago. I just don't think that has anywhere near the appeal that it did at the time. I think if they were going to do a Space Jam 2, it should have probably been done 10 years ago at least. Um, I thought the trailers were boring. I don't think the trailers were any good. And listen, I say all this, I'm a huge LeBron James fan. I, I think he's the greatest basketball player, probably the second greatest basketball player of all time uh, next to Michael Jordan. And I, he might even pass Michael Jordan. It's looking doubtful. But I mean, I, I think he's like the one of the most dominant athletes we've ever seen. But it doesn't matter. I, I think this I don't think this thing has near the interest that a lot of people think it does. I think this is going to be a flop. And when I say flop, I don't mean it's only going to make twenty million dollars, but I think this movie is going to lose money. Uh, and I, it'd be great if I'm wrong. Maybe the movie's going to be fantastic and it'll make seven hundred million dollars. But I'm thinking it's going to flop. Rob, what are you thinking about Space Jam two right now? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people like Space Jam. And uh, I know they just dropped another trailer today for it, which I haven't seen yet. But um, I, I think you might be right. I, it might be past its sell-by date. <laughs> but uh, obviously, somebody's got confidence in it. You know, LeBron James has started his own production company. 
didn't we used to walk by his uh, car when we uh, were at the old Hollywood offices doing broadcasting when I first started with you three years ago? Yeah. So what a lot of people don't know this. I have a picture of it somewhere. But when when Rob and I were doing the John Campus show out of the stream studios and I, I kind of became like one of the head guys at the stream, the our production offices, LeBron James moved his production company's offices into the same offices as ours. And I had a private reserve parking spot that was two spots over from LeBron James. You can see it like the big placard, LeBron James. So I was literally two cars over from LeBron James's parking spot. It was actually kind of neat that way. But yeah, I I, I just don't, uh, I, I, it's, yeah, it's, I, I just think the movie's going to flop, but we'll see. All right, next up, Peter Cunnington writes, uh, hi, Jones, probably meant John. Uh, did you hear that Gene uh, Yoon, star of Kim's Convenience, said working on Kim's Convenience was painful and that some of the original season five storylines were overtly racist? I'm sad to hear this and that the show ended badly for the cast. Well, I'm, look, she didn't say, let's be specific here. She did not say her overall experience of it was painful. It was, they, ran, they started to ran into issues in season five where some of the cast, including Simu Liu, were getting unhappy with the fact that uh, the writer's room didn't have any like Korean representation in it, and it's a show about a Korean family living in Canada. The fact that you know the, the story group wasn't willing to take story ideas from the cast, and quite frankly, you know my position on this, I don't think a story group should take notes from the cast. The cast is there to act. But anyway, that's just my right. opinion, whatever. Other people have different feelings on that, and that's fine. Um but yeah, it it again, everything, Rob, about the ending of Kim's convenience, from how it was done to now seeing, you know, how the 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 cast were feeling in that last season and the fact that it just they all got done so dirty by the showrunners by the end of it, including the networks were done dirty and the cast and the crew, they were all done dirty by the showrunners. It's unfortunate to hear and it's it puts a little bit of a stain on what is one of the truly great shows out there. But uh whatever, it's just gonna get lost in history now. Okay, next up. Uh, Dank Reviews writes, um, Salutations, John Campion Co. I have begun a YouTube review channel, and I find it enjoyable to discuss movies, TV, and entertainment broadly. I know you could talk ad nauseum on the do's and don'ts, but what advice would you give me? Blessings. All right, Dank. Well, I mean, it's a good question. What I would, I obviously can't sit here for an hour and, and tell you that stuff. I have put out a couple of videos. Uh, one is called how to get started in YouTube and blogging. And one is literally just called how to YouTube. Let me see if I can find it here. Hold on a second. How to YouTube, uh, John Campia. Yes. I think if you, there it is. One of the first videos you'll come up, you just do a quick search for called how to YouTube. Uh, you will come across a video that I've done. Just just search YouTube for How to YouTube by John Campia. Search, search YouTube for How to YouTube John Campia and you should find uh, this video there. And it's uh, three hours long. And there's another one called How to Get Started in YouTubing. If you search for How to Get Started in YouTubing John Campia, it's an older video I did. This is another two-hour one. Go and find that there, and hopefully you'll find all the information you need. And good luck on getting that going, Dank. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's see here. B. Wayne New York writes, Hey, JC. 
So happy you're finally enjoying the Warrior series on HBO Max. Me too, brother. I love it. Uh, This is the series I put on your radar about a year ago. You and a couple of other people. It's based on the OG story written by the iconic Bruce Lee. Uh, FYI, the fans of the series campaigned hard for HBO Max to pick pick it up. Come on, season three. Yeah, and like I was just saying, I just got a text message from Dennis. Dennis is also one of the guys that really influenced me to check out Warrior because he was just going on and on and on about it. And I am loving this show, man. I'm, I breezed through two seasons in three days. So I'm all caught up and I am now like you just anxiously awaiting to hear that they're going into production on season three. They've already announced they're going to do it. It's just now waiting for them to actually go into production. And I'm very, very excited for it, man. All right. Next up Heisenberg writes, Uh, One of two. Sorry for the abbreviations, man. I will type my questions properly now. Uh, Just saw that you said you're going to type properly. BW. Oh, probably you mean Black Widow. Okay. I just saw that Black Widow has 22 minutes of IMAX footage. Do you think Disney will release Black Widow in IMAX uh, for the home release? Also, why haven't they done this for Infinity War and Endgame as they were shot completely in IMAX? Warner Brothers always releases their movies in IMAX for the home release if they were shot in IMAX thoughts. Rob, I am not the I'm not a physical media guy. You know that. So I really don't care much about that. But I know you have wondered out loud a little bit about, you know, Disney's, you know, choices that they made about IMAX footage and that what what is it exactly Heisenberg is asking here here and and what would you say to what he's asking well you know one of the things so as you know in physical media when movies are shot they have IMAX releases a lot of the time they vary in aspect ratios so like the the Christopher Nolan films if you get them on blu-ray or 4k they switch between the IMAX aspect ratio which is more uh, of a box as opposed to widescreen two, three, nine to one. Well, one of the things that frustrated me about both infinity war and Endgame on physical media is Disney did not include the IMAX, um, aspect ratios on the discs. So Thanos in particular, the Thanos scene suffered because for instance, like in the beginning when Thanos is on the Asgardian ship and kills Loki, um, uh, uh, the uh, the IMAX version of the movie, you see more of Thanos, and it, the 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 framing is different, and it looked better. And when you see the, the on on home video, they and I believe on Disney Plus, they only release the regular standard widescreen version. And it's while it looks good, it's not as cool. And I didn't think that the Thanos scenes had the impact that they had in the theater if you saw them in IMAX. And it's unfortunate that they have not adopted the same strategy Warner Brothers adopted for their IMAX releases of, say, the Nolan uh, Batman movies. All right. Does that answer the question? Does that answer the question? It absolutely does. Well done. All right. I'm glad you were here for that. All right. Next up, we've got Chuck the Mystery who writes, hey, John. I know that your favorite film in the Indiana Jones franchise is the third one. Yep, Last Crusade. Uh, It's mine also. Not including Star Wars or Star Trek, are there any other franchises where you or Rob prefer one of the latter films to the original? Well, you know what? The first time that ever happened to me, Rob, I mean, outside of Star Wars, the Mm. first time that ever happened to me where I realized I like this one because of uh, better than the original. 
oddly enough, is the Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker series, uh, Rush Hour. Rush Hour, yeah. Because I, I don't, I didn't love the first Rush Hour, but I love Rush Hour too. I love Rush Hour too. And so that was like one of the first experiences to me outside of Star Wars where a sequel was better than, in my opinion, uh, than an original. Now, we could talk about things like Lord of the Rings. I always look at Lord of the Rings as like one project, even though it was yeah. three separate movies. I look at it all as one project, so I don't really think of it in those terms. So there's that. I'm trying to think of another franchise where like a sequel was better than the original I know, Rob, do you have any that come off the top of your head? Oh, oh, Michael, well, the by the thing- way, Michael Brommer in the live chat says a good one. Terminator 2. Terminator 2 is a good one. I thought I thought the second, it was very different from the first Terminator. You know, Rob, Terminator and Aliens are very, very similar in that way. Like one is kind of the first one's got action, but it's kind of a horror thing. Then you go into the yeah. second one and it's like, like high tone, incredible action. But uh, Aliens might be another one. What about you? Well, I... The first thing that came to my mind was the Road Warrior compared to Mad Max. Oh, right, I mean, I, yeah. You know, I loved the Road Warrior. I like Mad Max. It was a great sort of low-budget exploitation film, but the Road Warrior took it to a whole new level. And again, I think Fury Road is is better than, um, obviously, than uh, the original Mad Max. But, um, you know, people could maybe argue Godfather 2 might be better than Godfather 1. I think both are masterpieces, though. You know, and um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, might, people might think it's better than Star Trek The Motion Picture. So <laughs> You think? <laughs> you know, well, I'm, I'm a huge fan I of Star know. Trek The Motion Picture. But, but, but no, it's just a different kind of a movie. But I think there are certain sequels. Some people would say Lethal Weapon 2 is, is more fun than Lethal Weapon 1, although I think that they're, I think Lethal Weapon 1 is a great movie too. By the way, getting some really good recommendations uh, in the uh, in the live chat, uh, the Rocky franchise to me is one that just got better and better. Like Rocky Four is my favorite of the Rocky franchise. Uh, the Aliens franchise, Spider Man Two, Spider Man Two was was Raimi's Spider Man Two was probably better than Spider Man One. That's a good one. Uh, Toy Story one. Two, uh, yeah, I think uh, Toy Story Two. That one's brought in by Peter Cunnington. Toy Story Two, I think, was a, a better one. Uh, Ill- um, Illmatic. X-Men 2. Yeah, I thought for a while X-Men 2 was the greatest comic book movie of all time for for a certain period of time. That's a good one. I think the Fast and the Furious franchise got better. Uh, But not everybody agrees with that, but I thought it got better after 3. Yep. uh, Some people saying Evil Dead 2. uh, Dark Knight. Better than Batman Begins. Some people dispute that, but I, I think that's probably generally accepted. So, yeah, it's happened a lot more. But going back, it was the Rush Hour one to me that was the first one that I really noticed that. But anyway, Chuck the Mystery, great question, man. All right, next up. Chuck the Mystery also writes, speaking of third films, I can't recall you guys talking about your thoughts on The Godfather 3 Coda, which came out some months back. Uh, what are yours and Rob's thoughts on the additional scenes and restructuring? Do you think it was an improvement? I never watched it. I, I never watched it. I don't know if you guys know this. I really don't give two squirts of piss about codas or director's cuts or anything like that. The movie that came out is the movie. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, well, John, what about the Lord of the Rings extended? Yeah, yeah, those are great. I love them. But when I think about Lord of the Rings, I think that I, I personally think the definitive Lord of the Rings is the one that got released in theaters when it got released. So that's how I kind of think. So while I, I thought it was curious that they did the Godfather 3 Coda thing, I I was never motivated really to watch it. 
I'm fascinated about the making of the Godfather thing they're doing. I'm very excited about that, but I never really cared. And by the way, I think Godfather three is a very underrated film. I do because too. Is it the worst of the Godfather films? Easily. It's easily the worst of the Godfather films because Godfather, Rob, you were just mentioning it. Godfather one and Godfather two are both in the discussion for the greatest movie of all time. You'll, if you get a thousand cinephiles together, there's going to be a lot of them that will argue that Godfather one is the greatest film of all time. A lot of them will also argue that Godfather two is the greatest film of all time. You're not going to find a lot of people anywhere arguing that the Godfather three is one of the greatest of all time, but I've always contended, Rob, I don't know how you feel about this, that Coppola's uh, Sophia Coppola, who, you know, uh, Francis decided to put his daughter in it, who is not a strong actress. Very good director herself. She herself is a very good director like her dad. But, and it just kind of butchered all the scenes she was in. But that's all anybody talks about are those scenes that she was in. You take that out. The rest, the 90% of the rest of the movie is a very, very, very good movie. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? Well, look, I'm a big Godfather 3 fan. In the first episode of Sopranos, when Christopher Moltisante, first season of Sopranos, Christopher Moltisante goes out west and was talking with a rapper. And I'll never forget, they're having a conversation about the Godfather and the rapper. I forget the actor who plays the rapper. He goes, Godfather 3, it's just misunderstood. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes, there's defending Godfather 3. I, I I mean, I think Godfather 3, the story of Michael, uh, Michael Corleone's potential redemption and admission and what he's trying to do with international immobiliary, I think the, the idea behind it is terrific. The problem is... It's less genius than Godfather 1 and 2, and because, obviously, there's a huge weakness in Sofia Coppola's performance, and I think a lot of that stuff was a little bit half-baked, but there's a lot going on there that I think is really great, and there's some brilliant set pieces. It's beautifully photographed. I think Pacino is great in it, and there's a lot of really good stuff about the film. I think the Godfather coda, to me as a fan, I was hoping it would do more, it doesn't do very much. I still prefer, actually, I've loved Coppola's remastering of things like um, Apocalypse Now and the, the Outsiders, but I was I was sort of disappointed in the Godfather coda. So, yeah. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. All right. Yeah. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, I just checked out a movie that I'll go on a limb and say Rob is a huge fan of, To Live and Die in L.A. William uh, Friedkin's car chase in The French Connection gets all the attention. Well, yeah, it's, it's still kind of considered the, the de facto greatest car chase of all time. But I actually think this one is even better. Rob, Ryan's going out there and talking Live and Die in L.A. Is this a film you love? Dude, I own five different versions of it on Blu-ray. <laughs> of course you And do. <laughs> hanging in my bedroom is a Polish movie poster for the film, which is really cool. It's got these like counterfeit, a, a tableau of counterfeit dollar bills. I love To Live and Die in L.A. I mean, love it, love it, love it. I, I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies, but maybe it's in my top 20. And uh, I, 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 my love for To Live and Die in L.A. is boundless. Good to know. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Jay Bling who writes, when it comes to Alexandra Daddario, I like her a lot, uh, in Baywatch, whether it affected her career or not, there should be no denying that it should have made more use of her and the other female lifeguards. Making it a buddy movie was frankly a mistake for starters. I disagree. I, I, I actually disagree with you, Jay Bling. I think 
listen, when you've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Zac Efron, and let's face it, the buddy comedy formula is one that has worked many, 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 many times. Whether you're talking Dumb and Dumber, 21 Jump Street, whatever, it works. So they thought they could take that formula, bring it, you know, that they did it with 21 Jump Street. Let's bring it into Baywatch. Our two main characters will be The Rock and Zac Efron. And we'll go from there. Premise-wise, that's very sound thinking. That works. And that could have worked. The problem is they just didn't make the movie funny. And I, I got news for you, my film-loving brother. They could have made it all about Alexander Daddario and the other female things. It still would have sucked because they didn't make it funny. That's the problem. You can't make... Rob, you can do... I say this all the time. You can do a lot of things wrong in a comedy movie. You can do almost everything wrong in a comedy movie. But if you make the audience laugh, it doesn't matter. Because that's all that matters in a comedy. Make yeah. the audience laugh. And if you do, you could have a crappy story and crappy characters and crappy everything. But if you're funny and you make the audience laugh from beginning to end, you win. It's much like a horror film. You can do everything wrong in a horror film. If you give people thrills, that's all that matters. And the problem with Baywatch was not that they focused it on the guy characters or they didn't put enough attention on Alexander Daddario. And by the way, the actor, the, the characters are not there to serve the actors. The actors are there to serve the characters. But it wouldn't have changed a thing because the underlying fundamental problem with Baywatch was it was simply not funny. And the, the so you could point to a lot of other things, but none of it would have fixed it if you didn't make it funny. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? It, it, was that or were there bigger issues with Baywatch? I don't know. How do you see it? I no, I I, I mean, I think that the, this again, it comes down to the script. I mean, I liked all the actors. I really did. I mean, I wanted to like Baywatch. I just didn't think I didn't think it it, it the fact that it it was a parody like it didn't work. I thought that the whole way they approached it just didn't work. And I I I think that it was really the writing and the script that it's so funny to be talking about Baywatch this way, but that's I really believe that their whole approach they wanted it to be an action comedy but at the same time be a parody or a send up and it didn't it just didn't all gel together for me. And I don't think it was because of any of the performers. All right, let's do one more with Rob still here with us ladies and gentlemen. Jay Bling writes, "When it comes to guilty pleasures that piss off others, I think I owe I owe mine. I kind of like Adam Sandler's movies with Jennifer Aniston. He's done I I think there's two of them <laughs> he's done with her, including the recent yeah. Netflix one. Uh though maybe uh, more the idea of them together since they were my childhood dream team growing up. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I there was the one where they're they're on vacation. They're a married couple and they're on vacation. That's on Netflix. It had a few moments. I know a lot of a lot of people didn't mind it. I thought it was quite bad. Um, and then the other one they did, I never liked either. But yeah, you think Jennifer Aniston, um, uh, and uh, Adam Sandler together, you would think, oh well, that just writes itself, but. I don't know. To me, it doesn't. But hey, Jay Bling, that's the definition of a guilty pleasure, right? It's one that you like that you think a lot of other people don't. And so, yeah, I don't like those ones, but that's the definition of a guilty pleasure. I've got guilty pleasure movies too, man, that I like that nobody else does. I know, Rob, have you checked out any either of these like Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston movies? And if so, what did you think? I, I have not. <laughs> I have not. So, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, Rob, I, we've kept you a little bit over time here. Thanks a lot for being here. I'm glad your internet kicked back on. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, I don't know what happened there. in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And by the way, if you live in Brooklyn tomorrow, Tango Shalom plays in a theater at the Brooklyn Film Festival tomorrow night. You guys should so, get out and see yeah. that. And by the way, Rob, I don't think I've told you this yet, but on Friday's show, I think it's going to be you and me, and I think Dennis Zen is joining us. I think we're going to have oh, wow. uh, I think we're going to have three of us on the show here on Friday, which nice. I'm uh, which I'm very excited about. I think that should be a lot of fun. Anyway, Rob, thanks for being here, dude. I will talk to you a little bit later. Have a good one, man. All right, sir. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And if you do live in the New York area, go and check out Tango Shalom. All right, guys, we still have a few minutes left here. Let's keep on going with the rest of your questions, shall we? Next up, we've got uh, we've got BK Dan writes, John, I just wanted to give you another chance to talk about your studio. Uh, is that a 100,000 sub YouTube plaque in your director's chair? I personally think you should hang it and uh, be proud of the community you've helped build here. Yeah, so in the background there, you well, you see it right there on the chair. That's the little plaque that YouTube sends you. Um, and you'll see several YouTubers have this. This is the plaque that YouTube sends you when you are... Uh, when you hit 100,000 subscribers. Let me back up so the camera gets it in focus a little bit more here for a second. One sec. See, it, it comes more in focus when I back up. Anyway. Um, yes, now that, of course, was like 150,000 subscribers ago because we've we've grown a lot since then. Like I, we're, we're approaching 200, we're getting close to 250,000 subscribers now, which is great. Or maybe we're over that or just under it. I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah. And, and you know what? I think this is a really nice, look, you'll hear a lot of us YouTubers, including me, complain about, um, complain about YouTube and certain things they do. And I know you guys have heard me complain about YouTube too, but I will say this little thing they do is actually kind of nice. And it is, it gives you incentive and that when you hit this milestone of like a hundred thousand subscribers, they acknowledge it. And, and I gotta say, these plaques are really nice. And now the, these friends of mine, the fine brothers, they have like a diamond, a diamond plaque because I think it's for when they hit like 10 million subscribers. Meanwhile, I'm working on a quarter of a million and they've got 10 million, but um, yeah, but it, I think it's a very, very nice little thing that, uh, that the guys do now I can hang it up. I can, but right now I kind of like having it in the shot. And the only way I can have it in the shot is if I have it there in my director's chair right now. But yeah, I'll probably hang it up at some point there. All right. Thanks for pointing that out, BK. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, uh, Dan, the man writes quiet place Two, best movie I've seen this year. I, I think so too. It's fantastic. Uh, seen it twice so far. I've seen it twice as well. Cruella brilliant, darling love the reimagining and the soundtrack. The soundtrack in Cruella was fantastic. It absolutely was uh, conjuring three hot garbage. I didn't think conjuring three was hot garbage. I thought it was, I thought it was okay. I thought conjuring three again, I've said this before, but it kind of works if you look at it as a murder mystery, 
Because that really, when you break it down, Conjuring 3 isn't really a horror movie. It's really a murder mystery. But And on that level, it kind of worked for me, but I'll say it was okay. Uh, P.S. If seven-year-old daughter complains about 30 minutes of trailers, it's a problem. She was not happy about it. Dude, don't even get me started, Dan the Man. Don't even get me started about 20, 25, 30 minutes of trailers in movie theaters. This has got to go. It's got to go. And at some point, I don't know for sure, but at some point, I might actually reach out to a whole bunch of other movie YouTubers and ask if we can maybe all get together and create a concerted push campaign to say, hey, movie theaters, Stop this bullshit of 25 to 30 minutes of trailers before a movie starts. We like trailers. 25 to 30 minutes of it is bullshit and it's got to stop. And I mean, obviously they're not going to listen to me, but maybe if we get like 20 or 30 of the, of the bigger movie YouTubers to, to come together in one big voice and put out this one video that says, Hey, movie theaters. Yeah. This thing you do, if tw- nobody likes, nobody likes 25 minutes of trailers. Stop it. You're ruining the movie experience. I don't know. That's just me. All right. Uh, next up, we got kind of just for a couple more here, guys. Eddie writes, uh, hey, John, first time I've watched you. Uh, the first time I watched you was when you streamed the Disney Investors Day. Oh, cool, man. And I remember watching you because that wasn't that long ago. And I remember watching you and I was like, why haven't I seen this guy before? This is great. And I've gladly been watching you ever since. Well, thanks a lot, man. Listen, first of all, it's just great to have somebody tell me that the first time they watched me and it wasn't the Man of Steel review. It's pretty great. That was a fun day. That Disney uh, live stream event, that was a fun day. That was a really good one with a lot of great announcements and a lot of great projects. I obviously got very excited. So thank you, Eddie, for finding us. And, and number two, thanks for sticking around and being here with us, man. I really appreciate that, dude. All right, BK Dan writes, John, you're talking spoilers. I just rewatched Titanic. Spoiler, the effing boat sinks. Now, where that comes from is one of our other viewers wrote in the other day saying, hey, John, you know, I and I get it. They were writing in, you kind of spoiled Entourage for me because I was talking about the ending of Entourage and things like that. And my point was, well, look, that's a show that went off the air 10 years ago. At some point, the movie fan community and the TV fan community has to be allowed to openly discuss things about TV shows and movies. Like once it's been out for six months or I mean, obviously much less than that, but we got to be able to talk about it, let alone a show that stopped airing 10 years ago. Right. The funny thing about spoilers is one of the reasons spoilers is such a problem for a lot of people is because there is still no unified, agreed-upon definition about what a spoiler is. Right? Think about it. To some people, um, yeah, so there's this scene in the movie where they're eating in a diner. Ah, you just gave away a spoiler! What are, you, what are you talking about? I just said there's a scene where they're eating in a diner. I didn't want to know that there's a scene where they're eating in a diner, right? So there's some people that's like anything, any bit of information to them is a spoiler. And some people define spoilers that way. To some people like me, it's only a spoiler if it is a vital piece of information that fundamentally influences and alters the way I see that movie. 
For example, Sixth Sense, right? If you know going into Sixth Sense that he was dead all along, well, then that that piece of information, that vital piece of information, fundamentally alters the way you see the entire movie. To me, that's what a spoiler is. To find out that there's a car chase in the third act, that to me is not a spoiler. To find out, oh, at one point, these three characters uh, are running through a building. To me, that's not a spoiler. But to other people, it is. And again, one of the re- that's why I think it, it is such a problematic thing, spoilers, because none of us have the same definition for what a spoiler is. So I can be doing my show and think I'm not giving away spoilers, but then somebody else is watching it and thinking, you just loaded me with spoilers. Like to me, a movie that came out over a year ago, you've had your chance to see it. If you were actually interested in that movie, you would have seen it by now. And all of us at some point have to be able to openly talk about it. So no, me saying this, this, and this about Avengers Infinity War, that's not a spoiler, but somebody else might consider that it is. And that's part of the problem. And it's, it's difficult. And I think us as a film fan, as a film fan community, we have still never really figured out a way to properly navigate spoilers. So it's, it's something that's going to continue to be a problem. All right. Uh, next up, Eddie writes, so I was watching you talk about Ben Barnes and how come he's not an A-list actor. And honestly, I'm wondering the same thing. One role I thought he'd be perfectly capable of and get a lot of attention from is Dr. Doom in the MCU. Do you agree? No, listen, I don't agree. It's the same thing. You can't say he would make a good Dr. Doom when we have no idea what Dr. Doom is going to be like in the upcoming Fantastic Four. What you're saying is, is that Ben Barnes would fit Dr. Doom the way you have Dr. Doom in your head. But when the script gets written, Ben Barnes may not be a fit for that character at all, depending, again, depending on how he's written. Right? Jack, for here's a a way I like to describe it. I like to use um, uh, Joker as a good way to describe this. Jack Nicholson is a great Joker. But... Would he have been the right guy to play the Joker that we had in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight? Probably not. I mean, he's great, and I love his Joker. But would he have been the right guy to cast in the one that Heath Ledger played? Actually, I don't think that would have been the right fit. I mean, it's Jack Nicholson. He would have found a way to make it work because he's a great actor, one of the icons. But not the right fit because it depends on how he's written. So we can sit here and say... Ben Barnes, who I think is terrific, Ben Barnes would make a great Doctor Doom. Well, what Doctor Doom are you talking about? The Doctor Doom that you have in your head? The Doctor Doom that you read in one comic book storyline? Like it's So it's kind of hard to say. So listen, but if they announce tomorrow that Ben Barnes is going to be Doctor Doom in the MCU's Fantastic Four, well, then that means that they wrote the script and they think he's a good fit for it. And I know he's a terrific actor, so I'd be thrilled. But until that time, I, 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 that's why I don't do the X actor and X role kind of things. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm with you, Eddie. The dude's terrific. He's absolutely terrific. And I hope he gets bigger, bigger, bigger opportunities. I really do. All right. 
Last question of the day, guys, and then we got to wrap it up here. Uh, BK Dan writes, uh, John, slight theory crafting slash possible spoiler slash comic relief. Does Fat Thor in Thor Love and Thunder go on slim fast or workout montage to lose the Fat Thor image? Sorry, had to. Too funny not to share. But listen, no, a lot, honestly, BK Dan, a lot of people have speculated that we are going, because don't forget, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord is also going to be in it. And remember, they were making jokes about maybe Star-Lord getting a little heavier. There have been a lot of people, understandably, theorizing that in Thor Love and Thunder, we're going to see a big workout montage where both Fat Thor and uh, Star-Lord work out and get back into shape. Honestly, I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think we're going to get that. I think they're just going to start the movie and Thor is already back in shape. Just like we never saw Banner turn into Professor Hulk. We just came back into the movie and he was there. Just like we never saw Tony Stark making the decision to be Iron Man again. We just came back into another MCU movie and he was Iron Man again. I just think it's one of those things that's just going to happen off camera. But that's just me guessing. I wouldn't put it past Taika Waititi to do a big workout montage to see them all getting back in shape, and we'll see how that goes. All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come, like from more from BK, Wyatt Bender, uh, CNC, and more. Do not worry. We will pick up on tomorrow's John Campus show, and Erin Cummings will be here. She's not shooting on her NBC show, Good Girls, this week. So Erin Cummings will be here tomorrow. Uh, we will pick up with your questions on tomorrow's show. There's not going to be a companion video today because don't forget a little bit later today, guys, if I can find it, where is it? Here it is. A little bit later today at 4 p.m., we are going to be doing our Loki episode one spoiler discussion. Make sure you guys go and watch Loki episode one first and then come on back at four o'clock as we uh, do our very first Loki open spoiler discussion. Looking forward to seeing you guys then. All right, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campus Show. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you guys again a little bit later today at 4 p.m. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.